probably the worst win in OU history. All right, here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another Game Week edition of the Mainline Podcast. On this rainy Tuesday night, Norman, Oklahoma, OU survives a scare in Lawrence. God, I can't believe I actually just said that. Yes, Oklahoma survives Kansas, beating the Jayhawks 35-23 to this past weekend. The Sooners were shut out in the first half, trailing 10 to nothing in what was one of the worst halves of football, guys, I think I've seen in the last 20 years since following this team. I did not get a chance to watch this game live. I had to work on sun on Saturday, but my phone was getting blown up the entire time by Twitter, by you guys in the group in the group chat. Um, and honestly, it's probably a good thing that I wasn't watching this game on Saturday. It's probably good for the blood pressure and probably good for the overall mood um, for for the rest of the weekend. But uh, the guys that actually did get to experience this embarrassing performance in real time, Adam Jacquez, Corbin Polson, they're back here with us tonight, boys. Before we dive into it, let's go ahead. I'm going to get this out of the way right now. Shout out to Lance Leopold in Kansas for playing a good, solid, hard-fought football game. Okay, that's all. Boys, have at it. What the hell happened? Well, my report, Tyler, is that, um, you know, things were really close. Uh, You know, it was about to be a big win, but we're just really close. We're just not quite there yet. Yeah, it's basically on repeat, guys. Uh, Listen, I don't know if there's such things as bad wins, but if there was, this is probably the worst win in OU history. Um, It just about was the worst loss in OU history. So the fact that it was close at any point during this game um, was amazing. I mean, they're just the guys in, in, in the away jerseys there in Lawrence just didn't seem to show up whatsoever. It almost seemed like Oklahoma took the same approach that we did on the podcast last week. We were so down on Kansas. We thought, hey, they're terrible. There's no need for us to prep or even talk about them. The exact same thing as what it was like for Western Carolina. It's going to be a glorified scrimmage that we don't really have to take seriously. They're just going to roll over, and it's going to be a cakewalk. And lo and behold, you look up at twelve thirty on Saturday, and OU's getting their ass kicked and getting their you know getting their ass drug up and down the field in Lawrence. So, Adam, throwing it over to you, man. Just kind of what were your initial thoughts as you saw this game kind of unfold, and what ultimately almost ended up being one of the uh, one of the darkest days in OU football on Saturday? What could have been? It- it was complete and total frustration. And you alluded to it like, yes, we treated Kansas with no respect on the podcast last week, but we're just fans. And I think that mentality really came into the football program throughout the, the week of preparation, and even on game day, looking at saying, hey, we gave the entire team Monday off. That's a, a big signal to your team that, hey, it's Kansas. It really doesn't matter. And then throughout, you know, going into pregame warmups, several guys that were a little bit dinged up. Um, They said, hey, we want to get them healthy. Totally understandable. But when you compound that with so many other factors going in and the way you're treating Kansas, and I really truly question how much game planning was actually going in because the defense looked like they didn't even know that the QB could keep on the zone read at all. He was completely uncovered. So just saying, hey, let's sit all these guys that are a little bit dinged up. Now that signals to the rest of the guys, hey, you know, I'm looking around these guys that normally would be playing are being held out must be a pretty easy opponent we can just roll out and, and you know win the game so it's lack of total respect for the entire details lack of focus lack of mentality all starts at the top with lincoln riley for me it's completely unacceptable um you know yes we're eight no and yes we get all the weekly tweets reminding us that the team is eight no and a win is a win but this is a pathetic embarrassing performance that Honestly, is way too regular uh, as far as OU goes, not only this year, but in years past as well, that really just does not set this team up for success going forward. You cannot flip that switch on and off, especially once we get to the end of the season when there's must-win games you know, at the end of the year or in the postseason. And it's, it's completely unacceptable and something that championship teams would have a much higher standard for. Um, that, you know, frankly, if we want to achieve any of those goals going forward, whether it's this year or the next, something major has to change from the top. Guys, it started obviously with that first drive where KU just walks down the field in like a nine minute, I believe it was a 14 play drive. And you thought, okay, like there's KU shot. This will wake the team up. Um, that's kind of all we'll see. You know, KU may add a couple of field goals throughout the rest of the game, but then it just kept happening. The offense doesn't have a pulse the entire first half and KU just does whatever they want. Um throughout the entire first half. And then you start shifting to the second half. Okay, offense gets some life. Some special plays are made. Um, oh, you actually comes back to like take the lead in this game. And you're like, okay, defense just needs a couple stops. Let's get out of Lawrence. 
And then Kansas goes basically up tempo and just drives it right back down the field again. So guys, over the past few weeks, I mean, how the Texas game started, um, what we saw against Kansas State, I've started to wonder about just the, the culture of this program as a whole. Um, what we saw on Saturday certainly doesn't help that. I can understand the human element of going and playing in big time atmospheres like what we had obviously in Dallas with the big game. Um, and I think the crowd was sounded pretty, you know, solid against um, uh, West, excuse me, TCU. Uh, with Caleb starting, you know, his first game and everything like that from, to going from those two environments um, to Lawrence, Kansas, I understand can be a bit of a turnoff, but guys, you don't see Georgia struggling at Vanderbilt. You don't see Ohio state struggling at Rutgers um, or against Indiana this past weekend, you know? So it, it's, it's a mentality. It's a makeup of a team that this program does not have right now. And it hasn't had, I mean, could be, could we be honest? Hasn't had for like Adam said the past few years. It's a mentality problem. It's a culture problem. Like you said, Adam, it starts at the top. And when you turn on the TV, it's cold. It's cloudy. It looked like there were maybe 2,000 fans in the, in, the, in the stands. And OU comes out looking like they didn't care if they were even going to play the game or not. Lack of emotion, lack of energy, no focus. Just see the four offsides penalties. Three of them were on the first drive by the defensive line. The defense guys, especially in the first series, they looked like they'd never seen a zone read concept before. So they were unprepared, couldn't tackle to save their lives. The alignment issues are still a problem. And I don't know what we've got to do to get a stop on third down. Kansas going into this game was ranked 113th nationally in the FBS in third down conversions. And they went 9 of 13 for the game on Saturday, 7 of 9 in the first half. And look, we've heard about it for the last two to three weeks, and it was really drilled home to us again today by Lincoln Riley. I know we're down some starters on defense. I know we're missing Jalen Redmond, DTY, Woody Washington, DJ Graham didn't play on Saturday. But, guys, it's Kansas. There's there's 6A high school teams in the state of Texas that would beat Kansas in football. Maybe not beat them, but I guarantee you they could make it very, very competitive. And if you're the University of Oklahoma, your third-string guys should be able to go up to Lawrence and handle, handle their business against Kansas on Saturday. Get the hell out of here with the well. You know, we're – any, anytime you're down four guys, that's going to hurt anybody. You were playing Kansas. Kansas State, most of Texas, just like you said, Corbin, TCU, and now Kansas. We are back to the days of holding our breaths every time this defense takes the field. And, guys, I hate to say it, it looks more and more like a Mike Stoops defense over the last three to four weeks of the season. Well, case in point, we ran a poll on our Twitter account earlier today at the Mainline Pod One. Make sure to give us a follow there. We've gotten a lot of interaction. Several several of our tweets have gone viral over the last couple of weeks, so we appreciate everyone interacting there. But ran this poll earlier today, just asking everyone what their opinion was as far as uh, what they think is wrong with the Sooners' defense. The number one answer was actually kind of surprising for me. Forty six percent of people said getting healthy was the most important key there. Uh, 29% said new slash better coaching, and then 26% said less substitutions. So I thought that was really interesting because a lot of those guys like Woody Washington, Jalen Redmond, DTY have been out multiple games, and the defense performed much better. Not great, you know, against TC or Texas, but there were moments in time of those games where, you know, they looked pretty competent there. Um, and like you mentioned, Tyler, four starters out shouldn't make any difference whatsoever to Kansas. Um, we have better players all across the board. You know, it, it doesn't explain, you know, Jalen Redmond being out doesn't explain how easy it was for Kansas to run the ball on us. Um, and like, it, it's incredibly frustrating for me because as soon as this game's over, I flip over to Iowa state, Oklahoma state, neither team has nearly as good of players as OU has on defense. And I would say, you know, definitely for sure this year for Oklahoma state, but for the last four years, I think Iowa State's had a better defense every single year than OU has and has never had, you know, a, a single recruiting class that, at least from defensive perspective, has been any better than OU. So how that's possible, it's it almost leaves me speechless um, that we can't get better results out of these guys. Corbin, throwing this over to you, I mean, where where do you start? I mean, can you can you put your finger on, you know, what's happened over the last two to three weeks? You know, this defense started out playing really, really well at the very beginning of the season. Obviously, Tulane's kind of an outlier, but Western Carolina, they kind of turned it on. Nebraska, West Virginia holding them both to under 20 points. But it's just time and time again, you know, whether it's busted coverages, missed assignments, can't make a tackle, third down and six, your corner's 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, and he's backpedaling as soon as the ball is snapped. I mean, I, I, 
I, I know that it's it's going to be nice getting Jalen Redmond back, but he's not going to fix your issues on the back end. Yeah, it's bizarre, guys, because at the beginning of the year, the defense is what won us all these games. What, the first three, four at least? You know, you could probably attribute to them. I guess, you know, Tulane put up a good amount of points, but, you know, I think both sides of the ball turned off that game at halftime. It looked pretty similar to the KU game, honestly, if we want to compare the two. Second half of Tulane and basically everything we saw against Kansas. Guys, what's concerning to me maybe more than anything is the fact that it does seem like a philosophy change from Grinch over the past few weeks. Um Grinch came in as an attacking defensive coordinator. We are going to decide how this game comes. You know, we're not going to um, react to what the offense does. We are going to make the offense react to us. That was the whole, you know, thought process with him coming in. And guys, these past few weeks have been the complete opposite. I understand having a few young guys in and wanting to make sure you're not putting them in harm's way. But that, I mean, it can't get any worse than what we just saw. It can't. And so at least if Kansas is going to beat you, Make them throw it over the top. You're getting tore up on the ground. Um, you know, the Kansas quarterback being, you know, rushes for 100 yards and 23 carries. Uh, a couple of the running backs had some big runs. But, I mean, he wasn't pressured all day long. Like, start sending stuff for him to have to make tough decisions on. Um, don't sit off 10, 15 yards on, on a third and six, Tyler, where a guy can literally just run to the sticks and turn around and catch the ball, and nobody's even in the freaking screen to tackle him. It's just – Everything that we thought we knew about Alex Grinch over the past few weeks just hasn't hasn't been true. Um, the offenses are doing whatever they want against this defense, and considering how good we thought they were, especially up front, where all the leadership should be on that defensive line, they're doing nothing. When they're doing nothing, the secondary, you know, has all these holes. All of a sudden, it's just it's a snowball effect, and if you 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 may still get beat on some plays, and we I think we all talked about this last week where. We understand the offense is going to play a little bit more up, up tempo. We understand that's probably going to result in some more points given up by this defense. And I'm fine with that, but at least go down swinging. I mean, like that, there just was no pulse on the defense at any point, probably outside of Key Lawrence. He's probably the one guy who I feel like actually somewhat came to play. And let's be honest, guys, do any of us have any faith that he's going to be starting on Saturday? I don't. Well, it sounds like he's changing positions. Yep. And, and you know, throwing this, throwing this over to you, Adam, I mean, we talked about it all off season, and that was one of the you know the the highest praised position groups that the coaches, the national media, and even the local guys as well was talking about how dominant this defensive line could be for the last two weeks, and especially against Kansas, the the defensive line has had no impact whatsoever, especially in the pass rush. Why are we just rushing four? It's obvious that those four are not good enough to be able to get consistent pressure on the quarterback. Where's the blitzing? Where's the aggressiveness? If you're worried about this, your secondary covering guys. Would you not want to try and dial up more pressure so that it's not allowing the quarterback to sit back there for three, four, five seconds and pick your secondary apart? I mean, guys, just look at what Jason Bean, the Kansas quarterback, did against us. 17 to 23, 246 passing yards, one touchdown. In the previous three Big 12 games this year, 57 passing yards, 120 passing yards, 81. His previous three QBR ratings were 59, 40, and 10. And then he lit Oklahoma up on Saturday with a QBR of 86.5. I don't know what's got to change right now. Yes, it is going to be nice getting Jalen Redmond back, and it'll be nice having DJ Graham, DTY back there. But you got to figure some things out because, honestly, you're at the point right now to where you've skated by all, all season long by the skin of your teeth, being able to uh, you know go up against this inferior competition, being able to not play your best football and still be able to close a game out and win it. You have four teams now, and I'm going to include Texas Tech in this as well. If you don't play any better than you have the last two to three weeks, you have a very good chance of losing all four. And two of those four, Iowa State, and I throw Baylor into this as well, you might get ran out of the stadium. Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, there's absolutely no havoc created by this defense. And yeah, I, I think Alex Grinch is trying to get away with just rushing four because he doesn't trust the, the back end to cover. But I mean, that's what's going to create those turnovers that absolutely change the game for him. We really haven't had very many game-changing turnovers. Most of them have come either on a fourth down or Deshaun White fumbles and it's a touchback. You know, it's those types of scenarios that ended up being kind of meaningless. The turnover, um, which was probably the best play from the defense of the day on Saturday where Key Lawrence came in and stripped the guy, um, I actually didn't love that because we missed several tackles earlier in the game. One pretty key one by Caleb Kelly where he went for the strip, missed the entire tackle, and the guy ran for another 5, 10 yards after that. And so – 
I feel like, you know, oftentimes the interceptions are going to happen because of so much havoc created by the pass rush, you know, bring an extra guy that's unaccounted for, or, you know, a fumble occurs when a guy's already wrapped up and another defender comes in and just lays the wood on him. So um, it's just frustrating to see so many bad, um, you know, uh, techniques across the board there where guys are just, I don't know, they're regressing. And we see that most mm-hmm. uh, prominently in Jaden Davis. He's the new Jordan Thomas a guy that flashed as a freshman showed a lot of promise people got excited for, and now he's worse than he was when he started. And that's just unexplainable to me, but um, I don't know. People are, and this is kind of our next topic here on Alex Grinch, but people are starting to get a little, a little uh, frustrated with with him thinking maybe it's time for him to move on after the season. Um, But I think there are some things that give me hope there with him and the way he's responded to this compared to what Lincoln said. It's uh, concerning to me, guys. You know, you look at a guy like Billy Bowman, another young guy in this defense um, who had had a, a strong start to the year, to be honest, at that nickelback position. Now he's, you know, played cornerback for a couple games. He's gotten absolutely torched. Guys, let's not, you know, sugarcoat what has been happening to him. I, I worry about him like I do Jaden Davis now. Like how is or how is this season, if they continue to throw him out at corner and he continues to get lit up like he's getting lit up, how does that affect the mentality of a young football player who had a ton of potential to start this year? How does that affect him moving forward? Could we, could in two or three years from now, are we going to be talking about Billy Bowman like we are Jaden Davis because of an illogical position change decision made by Grinch or Manning or whoever it was, you know, caused this guy to start working backwards rather than continue to progress the nickelback position. So there's question marks all around guys, um, you know, but I think you're spot on, Adam. The, the seat is getting hotter for Alex Grinch. We've seen this, the um, patience to go back to what we had before Alex Grinch is not going to be there from this fan base, especially when he's making the money he's making. So I'm, I'm about over what we've seen the past few weeks and I'm about over here and, you know, we're so close from Lincoln Riley. I'm not ready to press the eject button yet on Alex no. Grinch just because I, I, I think he still is the guy. And I think that maybe part of the problem right now is, and he, and he, you know, in his press conference today, he kind of laid it out pretty well that at some point the players kind of have to take ownership, kind of have to take pride in what they're doing. And it's obviously right now there's kind of a disconnect right now between the between the coaching staff and the players in terms of uh, from a preparation standpoint, getting everything ready to go, making sure that the schematics, making sure that you're ready to go on Saturdays. Um, but guys, really for me, the thing that kind of bothers me the most about Grinch is his his bread and butter whenever he came into this program was wanting to play 22 to 25, 26 guys on Saturday, have the big rotation. I'm done with the defensive rotations. Playing eight to nine uh, defensive linemen, rotating five interior linebackers. How can you expect your players to get comfortable, get into a rhythm uh, of the game when they're playing a series, then taking the next one off so the next group of guys can go in and get some reps? You need to find your best 11, let them play the majority of the snaps, and I, I think that that's what OU is going to have to do in order to, you know, to win these next four games. Yeah, we've seen in the past lots of uh, defensive linemen play every snap. Uh, look back to Obo uh, back in like 2017. He was playing a ton of snaps. So I think you can still have a little bit of a balance with substitutions, maybe play like 60-40, 75-25 and, and get your better players on the field more often because, you know, they're going to be able to create more plays and still, you know, create that depth along the way, keep guys engaged and ha- and happy there. So. Um, but I do like some of the things I've heard from Grinch just in regards to saying like, Hey, like it starts with me rather than saying, Oh, we're so close. Um, I know people don't really listen to Alex Grinch as much, but with Lincoln Riley, he's not taking any of the heat off the team by, you know, taking some of that responsibility and blame and and saying, Hey, it's on my shoulders. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to find a better way to coach. It's more just, Hey, we're just so close. And it's like, that's the same thing we've heard for eight straight weeks, essentially, like, how can you not get this team that final, you know, couple inches that you need to get to get across the finish line, so to speak? So, um, I, I think the snap counts have gotten better. I think they were better against KU, say, seeing some more prominent guys play more snaps. But it doesn't freaking matter if they don't do anything while they're out there. That's the big problem. And the biggest question, I think, on that front is you are seeing, quote unquote, depth at the line position, at the linebacker position. But the position that Grinch coaches, that philosophy goes out the window. When you, when you think of the safeties and obviously the secondary just in general. So it's a it's a bizarre philosophy that we're not seeing some more opportunities given to safeties. I mean, I, I understand Pat Field. Pat Fields is a captain. 
But guys, we already benched one captain this year. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference if we bench another. So, but all that being said, guys, on the offensive side of the ball, it had moments. Obviously, there were plays to be excited about, but it wasn't pretty either. So, Tyler, starting with you, what was your overall takeaways from the offense based on what you saw? Yeah, I think the offense is fine. I'm not worried about the offense at all. Saturday was just kind of like what we've seen so many other times this season where teams follow the follow the blueprint of um, the defense's inability to get off the field, giving up seven, eight, nine-minute drives. Not only does that eliminate the opportunity for OU's offense to get into a rhythm, but it also seriously decreases the number of possessions that Caleb and that group is able to have. So, you know, only getting three possessions in the first half, and I think OU didn't start their second possession in the first half until there was, what, 11 minutes left in the first quarter. So I know that it was bad that they got shut out in the first half, and I think they only ran around 14 to 15 plays. But then you also look back at it, coming out to start the second half, they had five drives, scored five touchdowns in that. So I like the fact that, yes, Caleb did struggle a little bit right out the gate. Obviously, we know he missed the the open pass out in the flats, Kennedy Brooks on the interception play, but you also have to – admire the fact that he came out of halftime the team responded he played very well in the second half and guys we've said it it seems like for the last two out of the last three weeks Caleb Williams and on that football team this team loses to Texas this team loses to Kansas that's scary but I guess it's Halloween season so um man the offense I don't really have too many complaints about they need to be better on first down and not get into so many second and longs third and longs um and and run the ball a little bit better yeah they were asleep too um, but they didn't suffer nearly as much against Kansas. So not not too terribly worried. I mean, you're asking them for perfection there in the first half to basically stem the tide and, and reverse the script on them, and they couldn't quite do it. But, um, you know, defense first has to, to make their own stop. So I'm not really too uh, too concerned about offense at this point. Yeah, even the interception you hit on the nail on the head there, Tyler, like Kennedy Brooks is, is wide open. Like, give him the ball. Go get those 10 to 15 yards. Keep the Keep the drive going. At the same time, Caleb clearly has a gunslinger mentality. He's trying to get back in this game with a single play. He did that the entire first half. That's just a freshman trying to do too much. I can live with that now. Next year, if we're having the same issues, like we discussed with Spencer Rattler, we saw the same issues last year as what we saw this year. If we're still dealing with that, that'll be a huge problem. But it's his second start, his third game really playing any meaningful snaps. That's going to happen from time to time. And I thought he bounced back well. But, I mean, guys, we have to discuss, you know, the, the fourth down play where he takes the ball from Kennedy Brooks. I mean, it's one of the wildest plays I've ever watched in person. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you all would classify it, but we probably lose that game if he doesn't do that. I mean, is it kind of everybody kind of on the same page there? I don't trust the defense to get a stop if, if he doesn't no. pick up that first down. And, you know, what a what we said in the post game. I mean, what a heads up, heads up play. I mean, I've seen a lot of football plays, you know, in my lifetime. The fact that that guy – even him being a true freshman, I think, makes it all the all the more better, all the crazier, the fact that, you know, he basically said, okay, yep, you're stopped by the line of scrimmage. You're not going to get the fourth down. Nope, I'm not going to do this. Okay, give me the ball, Kennedy. I'm going to take it across. And, uh, I mean, it just kind of it just kind of highlights what we already know. The kid's a gamer. kid's a playmaker. And he's he's been clutch for OU the past three weeks. So I have actually seen this play before. I've seen it twice in the same game. Uh, a little bit different. It was a game I've played in uh, when I was in high school. There was a guy on, on the other team that it was his thing on kickoffs. Whenever the kick returner was going down, he'd run in and rip the ball out of his teammates' hands. So it was like his personal strategy, I guess, or something. But he scored a touchdown on it, so it worked. Um, I, I thought it was kind of funny to see people, maybe I, I don't think they were Kansas fans because Kansas doesn't really have football fans. So I guess there were other OU haters out there that were complaining that forward progress was stopped. And looking at that, I mean, that's a that's a tough argument to make um, because Kennedy was getting pushed back, but he was still on his feet. He could have broken loose potentially, and who knows. Um, and we also saw earlier in the game where Jason Bean on a QB sneak basically was stopped standing straight mm-hmm. up, and they never blew the whistle. And then finally, after like three seconds, he pushes forward again and gets a first down. So they were slow on that whistle over and over again. Um, and everyone who pretended like they knew the rule about forward handoffs, like get over it. Like you guys did not know the rules to that. So sorry. Oh, you didn't get the, the worst loss in like FBS history, but turns out they got the worst win. So you can have how, that. How was Robert Griffin on the call? I didn't listen. I didn't mind him. Um, I, I, I think he's unique. Um, I don't think I'd want to listen to him every single game. But maybe if it was not the teams that I was interested in, like OU, I'd I'd find it more entertaining. Yeah, 
I mean, it's just and, once a year. It's on ESPN. So, And I think that that play is kind of a perfect transition over here to our stock up, stock down, because, you know, just looking at the stock down for this. I got, group, a, I got that, a question first. Before we move yeah. on, I got a question yeah. first. We talked about it a little bit post-game, and I say this halfway jokingly. Does Lincoln Riley like Caleb Williams? Because the dude just gets zero credit for anything that he does. I get the whole Spencer Rattler balance act that for whatever reason he's still trying to do. But I mean, like, at some point, when do you start wearing on the kid and potential future recruits that you cannot compliment your starting freshman quarterback? I kind of thought that was overblown. Like, I didn't really read that much into the postgame comments like you guys or other people did. And honestly, maybe it's more – I don't know if it's motivated necessarily by keeping Spencer happy because you've got, what, four games left um, in the regular season at this point. It's it's pretty much over at this point. You don't really need to keep him around for anything. I thought it was maybe more motivated around don't let Caleb's head get too big that he gets into that same spot Spencer was where he could do no wrong at the beginning of the year. See, to me, it wasn't so much that that particular comment or, you know, lack of a compliment in that immediate postgame interview was what was so mind-blowing to me. It's the fact that we've seen three weeks in a row, his second half against Texas, his five-touchdown performance against TCU, and then he makes two clutch plays in the second half to save your ass uh, in a game that you could have been upset in Lawrence. I don't know if it's so much – well, I don't think he dislikes Caleb Williams. I think he likes him. I think he sees what he has in that guy, and he's got to be very excited that he's going to be on campus for another two more years after this. But I'm almost at the point now to where are we continue? is he continuing to – I don't know if babying is the right word, but it almost seems like he's refusing to go above and beyond to compliment what Caleb does well because he's super worried about the fragile ego – that is Spencer Rattler and not wanting to either piss him off or he's wanting to keep him engaged. So we don't want to, we don't want to get too high with Caleb because we know there's a possibility that, that, you know, Spencer's going to have to help us out later in the year. I didn't mind the comment as much until he like praised Kennedy Brooks about it. I was like, wait, Kennedy's falling backwards. And the only thing he could do is let go of the ball or it's going to be a turnover on downs. If there's a guy you're praising in that moment, it's not Kennedy Brooks. Like, I guess tip your hat that he had the faith to let go and have let Caleb get it. But it's like, if you're going to praise anybody, it's not the running back there. So I was just kind of curious your thoughts, but uh, guys, it's just, it's just, it's getting strange the longer this, this keeps going. I mean, we'll, we'll kind of cast aside, you know, Adam's high school days with that quarterback making that play. But honestly, in that situation, how many other quarterbacks, both collegiately and even in the NFL, have the have the mind and, ha- you know, have the ability to say, okay, this is what I got to go do, instead of just saying, okay, fall down, we're not going to get it defense, get out here, try to stop it. No, I'm going to take this into my hands, rip the ball away from Kennedy, and I'm going to do everything I can to get the first down conversion. But I think that that, that play – go ahead, Adam. Well, I, I was just going to say, I think my takeaway from this is Caleb Williams is my stock up and stock down. If I, if I'm taking anything there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I guess, you know, to, to rattle mine off offensively stock up for me is, is Trayvon West. Uh, yeah, (laughs) he kind of ran out of gas, uh, run, but you know, he, he was a guy that entered the transfer portal in the off season and then decided to come back to the program. Lincoln talked about it today. Uh, Lincoln kind of buried him on the, on the wide receiver depth chart and then seeing him, because of maybe some injuries to Mike Woods and Mario Williams, he was able to get his shot, and then he made a really, really big play on Saturday. So that's that's the stock up for me. Stock down, you know, both fourth down, the the one where Caleb Williams took it to the house, and then also the one where he took it from Kennedy Brooks. Offensive line, stock down for me. And, you know, we've said it time and time again, it's Kansas. You can't run the ball on Kansas. I thought that this was going to be a game where we would look up in the third quarter Kennedy Brooks has a shoulder pads off. He had about eight to 10 carries. Marcus Majors out there toting the rock. Kennedy had to carry the ball, what, 25, 26 times? And he really wasn't all that effective doing it because the offensive line and Kennedy made some mistakes as well. But, I mean, stock down for me, this offensive line just, I mean, two steps forward, one step back. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I would echo that. Like I said, the offense I thought was fine. I kind of give them all the same grade of a C. You know, there were some good moments and bad moments around the board. So, I don't even know if I can go stock up, stock down too much. Um, I mean, West had that good run, like you mentioned, but it was one play. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to really go any one direction. I mean, if anything, I guess I would go Jaden Hazelwood just from a consistency standpoint. We're seeing him start to put multiple games together. So that's encouraging. He's starting to feel like a, an emerging threat mm-hmm. there. He can take a punch too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had Trayvon West as my stock up. The guys maybe 
inadvertently Mario Williams and uh, and Mike Wood stock up because that offense was not quite the same without those two um, on the football field. Yeah, stock down. It's like just pick one. I mean, there wasn't anything flashy about anything that happened on Saturday outside of the quarterback position. So, yeah, you can pretty much pick anybody up on the line there if you're struggling with Kansas' D-line. We've got bigger problems on our hand. But what about on the defensive side of the ball, Tyler? Stock down for me, it's got to be the defensive line. I mean, we touched on earlier the inability to get any type of pass rush with, with just four guys. Um, that was a big one for me. The fact that we made Jason Bean, you know, look like a five-star quarterback. Kind of seems like that's been a pattern at OU over the last four to five years, where whether it's a backup quarterback or it's a, you know, an inferior opponent, we make their quarterback look like an NFL pro bowler. So defensive, defensive line is definitely a stock down for me. And then I feel like we can all be in agreement with this one. Stock up on defense. It's got to be Key Lawrence. Yeah, I, I would agree. Mine is pretty simple. Stock down everybody that played on Saturday on defense, mm-hmm. including Key Lawrence, because he played so good he's going to play cornerback this Saturday, it sounds like. So huge stock down for that. Um, stock up anybody that didn't play, especially the injured guys. I mean, Woody Washington, Jalen Redmond, um, DJ Graham. Obviously, we knew he was pretty good. But those guys, when they get back on the field, they're basically going to, I mean, in the fans' mind, they're treated as, you know, gods that are coming in that are going to solve every problem. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think that is the the problem here, but um, their stock is way up right now. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself, guys. I think you guys hit the nail on the head there. So, Adam, take us into uh, our next segment, what's happened around the Big 12 this weekend, and uh, more things on the national landscape side of things. Yeah, so now we've got a uh, three-way tie for second place in the Big 12 with Oklahoma State taking the loss uh, up in Ames against Iowa State. And so Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma State all tied for second there. Um, Hopefully they all take a loss uh, to OU as we go down the final stretch. But, I mean, last week we talked about probably wanting to play Oklahoma State a second time in Arlington. I think OU's got some work on there and just to make sure they get there, obviously, but still probably the favorites to be in the number one position just based on you know the standing and status that they have now with no losses. But has anything changed for you guys there as far as who you're wanting to see most likely in a second chance? Or is there maybe a team here that, that scares you even more after what happened last week? For me, it's the same. I'd still rather play, I think, Oklahoma State. Um, I'm excited to watch the Baylor-Texas game this weekend. I know Baylor's got an overall a good record, and they beat up on who everybody thinks just for the brand name is was a pretty good BYU team. Um, but they did lose to Oklahoma State already earlier this season. That Texas game is a big swinging point. I feel very similar about Iowa State going to West Virginia. West Virginia is always a tough place to play regardless of the Mountaineers' record. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that Oklahoma State defense is good. Um, they're, they are talented with some very, um, low recruited guys, I guess, in comparison to what, you know, you'd see at the big blue blood level, but, um, but they're a a solid hard hitting defense. It was almost like watching two pretty identical teams in Ames on Saturday. Those, those teams are very equal. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how they all bounce back into this week. Um, but for me guys, yeah, it's still the pokes. I'd rather play them twice. I thought that was a really good football game. I mean, Iowa State, OSU, they play 10 times. That's probably a 5-5 five and five type series, you know. And, and honestly, looking at this log jam of the three teams that are tied for second in the Big 12, Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State, it's kind of scary in the fact that OU still has to play these three teams. So nothing, you know, no, nothing's going to be given. I mean, we, we kind of said earlier in the year, let's go ahead and, you know, pin Oklahoma in as that number one seed in the Big 12. I'm not confident going into any of those three games uh, after what we've seen so far. But, no, I- Iowa State, they're, we wrote them off, you know, after the first three to four weeks of the season. They start out the year two and two, and now Brock Purdy's starting to figure it out. I thought he played extremely well on Saturday. He was efficient. Yes, they kind of struggled a little bit running the football with Brees Hall, but that's that's Oklahoma State's defense. And, you know, shout-out to Jim Knowles and what he's doing with them. Um, but, no, it's, it, it's going to be a dogfight. Like you said, Corbin Baylor at Texas, that's a big one. Baylor wins that game. Texas is virtually eliminated from Big 12 uh, title contention. Um, and that's going to be a big one for us to watch because we're going down there in two weeks. Yeah, I'm interested to see what Baylor can do against Texas and how they match up with a team that wants to do a little bit more run and gun up and down the field versus playing Iowa State and Oklahoma State, two teams that are very similar to them, um, You know, slower pace, defensive battles. Uh, control offense. So I'm curious to see how that goes. That'll be very telling to see, you know, how, how might Baylor match up against OU um, in a couple of weeks there. So that's going to be a big one. Uh, nationally, um, there are a lot of big games. The Paul Bunyan uh, trophy going to Michigan, Michigan State there. Huge game, college game days there. Um, 
you know, big noon kickoff is there as well. Barstool. Um, Barstool. <laughs> I guess everybody's there. Yeah. Georgia, Florida also on Saturday. I know you guys listed Ole Miss and Auburn as a big game. And initially I was like, really? Like that seems totally meaningless. I have no interest in watching that, but only three losses combined there. Auburn sneaky as a two loss there. I, I mean, I guess it matters, but I don't really give Ole Miss a chance at really doing anything from a national perspective going forward. So um, I don't know if that really plays into much on the national playoff scene. Um, but one loss, a one loss Ole Miss at the end of the year would actually be a quite interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, yep. we all know Ole Miss is going to lose to Liberty here in a couple of weeks, so highly <laughs> unlikely. But, but um, I also think it's interesting, too, because if Ole Miss can figure out a way to win this game, all Alabama has to do is slip up you know, just one time in the last three to four weeks of the season, and you've got Ole Miss battle in Georgia uh, for, yep. for the uh, SEC championship, and who knows with that offense. Um, you know, One thing that we've seen from Georgia, as good as that defense is, I'm not sure how much Florida is going to be able to test them this weekend because Florida is a predominantly running team. And that's what that's George's bread and butter in terms of that defensive line being able to stop that. So it's definitely it's definitely going to be interesting. I still George is the best team in college football, but I'm I still want to see a little bit more from them because they have not statistically played a team that has an offense ranked in the top 35 in college football. So I still want to see a little bit more. And unfortunately, I don't think we are we're going to uh, until the SEC title game. That Auburn losing twice is like a, a nice little like fairy tale, like what if. But guys, I mean, they go LSU at home, New Mexico State at home, Arkansas at home, and then at Auburn. Guys, Bama's not losing. I understand this is probably the most vulnerable Bama team we've seen in the past few years. Bama's not losing until they get to Georgia. Uh, that's my. I don't think it's. I don't think they have a shot in hell losing twice. Yeah, you're probably right, and that, that, that does bring up a good point. You know, Alabama looking like they're back in the playoff picture. Ohio State looks like they're in great position. Again, they play Penn State at home uh, this Saturday, and Penn State doesn't look like the same team that they were at the beginning of the year. So it's starting to look like the familiar faces uh, back again in the playoff race, especially with Iowa losing a few weeks back. And I think that's bad news for OU. I, I, I really think, you know, we tweeted about it last week, and OU really needs to be in that, uh, you know, not not the four seed essentially to have a chance at getting to the Cotton Bowl again having a real home field advantage against whoever it might be, Cincinnati, Ohio State, whoever. But um, you need to do everything you can to avoid those teams that we know have incredible blue chip talent there um, in that first round and just make it to the national championship game. You know, you might be playing a loaded Georgia team or a loaded Bama team or whoever in that national championship game, but at least try in that first round to get someone that we know doesn't have the same talent level, like a Cincinnati or a Michigan or a Wake Forest or even an Oregon uh, would be better than the traditional matchup that we've had where we've been getting beaten up by Alabama, LSU, Georgia in that first round of games. You just do not want to have that. If you're an Oklahoma fan, you are rooting for a two-loss Alabama, and you are rooting for a one-loss Oregon to run the table. Because if there's anything I don't want to see in the college football playoff, yes, Georgia's going to be there, but I don't want to run into Ohio State. Does anybody in this room right now feel confident about our defense, specifically the secondary going up against Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and them. So I, no, I know that's their, their last three games have been against terrible teams. You can't I completely that. agree, completely agree. But I think that that's why if, if Ohio state runs the table, which I think many people expect them to do, you need Oregon to run the table as well. Win the pac 12, be a one loss team. Then you'll get into an argument where Ohio state's playing the best football right now. I think that outside of Georgia, Ohio state's the hottest team in America right now, but Oregon does have the head to head win over them. Does that justify putting them in the playoff over Ohio state? So you're rooting for Georgia to run the table, give Alabama a second loss, and you've got to be rooting for uh, Ohio state to, to maybe take a second loss as well. Yeah. Adam, that was one topic. I know. I think we either discussed uh, in our text group or maybe even last week on the pod, but the, the argument of if, if Ohio State and Oregon both run the table, how can you possibly put an Ohio State team in that lost to Oregon in above the Ducks? I, I don't know. I don't know how you can do it, but I know that you are actually kind of favoring Ohio State. Obviously, there's lots of weeks left to change your mind on what how that all plays out. But right now, if I remember correctly, you're saying you take the Buckeyes over the Ducks, even though on the field, Oregon won. Yeah, if we know anything about the college football playoff committee, logos matter, or rather the lack of helmet logo matters in this case. Um, and Ohio State, you know, has some East Coast bias as well, but they just look like the better team. And if these two teams continue on the trajectory that they're currently on, Oregon State, you know, will have a few potential 
good teams that they might go up against and maybe they'll win by the skin of their teeth or, you know, closer games like they are right now and not look all that impressive along the way uh, versus Ohio state. That's just absolutely demolishing teams right now. And they'll have some really big opportunities for wins against Michigan state, Michigan, Penn state, maybe in Iowa coming out of the West in the big 10 championship game. So pretty much every game down the stretch here, Ohio state has a statement win opportunity in front of them and a potential Heisman front runner there as well. So I think the the committee will look at that and the way they've said it in the past is that, Hey, if the resume resumes are close, the head to head is the tiebreaker, but it's not necessarily the initial tiebreaker. I just don't know how you do it, Tyler. I don't know how you can take um, what happened on the field and just ignore it. Well, I mean, I mean just, Oregon went to Columbus and beat Ohio state on their home field. It's, it's setting up to be a repeat of 2008 where OU Texas, Texas won in the Cotton Bowl, and then OU got hot at the very end of the year, won the Big 12, and they still, even though Texas won the game, the head-to-head matchup, they still put Oklahoma in uh, to but take Tech the was floor. there. There was a third team. That's what makes this different. Because they had yeah. all beaten each other. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 very true. Uh, I mean, it's and, and again, I think that this is all going to play itself out, but it is fun to, to speculate and, and, you know, talk about it. So one quick question before we move on to OU Texas Tech is, obviously the first college football playoff rankings are going to come out here next week. So guys, give me kind of your top six and why you feel the way you do about it. Yeah, I think you have to go undefeated teams here first with the most impressive eye test. So I'm going to go Georgia, Cincinnati, OU and Alabama as my top four just outside. Um, I guess I'll go with Ohio State and Michigan State, I think, there at six. But obviously, this is all going to work itself out. Yeah, Corbin, I think we're kind of in the uh, same line of thinking against this. I, I know that you know results on the field do matter, but Adam, if I'm being realistic right now, and I, I kind of have a feeling that the college football playoff committee, if OU does, if OU does somehow, w- you know, win this weekend, but it's not in impressive fashion, I could justify them putting a one-loss Alabama or a one-loss Ohio State ahead of Oklahoma right now. My top six right now: Georgia one, Ohio State two, Cincinnati three, Alabama four. I've got OU at five, and then Michigan, uh, Mississippi, or Michigan State to round it out. But guys. I know the results do matter on the field, and OU is an undefeated 8-0. But if I'm being honest, there, there's probably seven, eight, nine teams in America right now that I would pick to, be, to beat OU, if we're being honest. So, uh, I mean, I, I know that, like I said, the results do matter, but I don't have OU in my top four right now. Neither do I. Georgia, Cincinnati, Bama. Um, I've got actually OU at six. I've got Ohio State, Oregon, and then OU. Um, they're just the eye test of at least what I saw from Oregon last weekend. They got down early against UCLA, but that team looks better than what I've seen from OU over the past couple weeks. Um, I do think Caleb Williams is the type of player who can keep us in any game in the right setting, but you're looking at the big picture and it's like a part of it's hard Tyler, because especially specifically about Ohio state is they've looked so much better these past three weeks. So it's like I said, the teams they've played the last few weeks are atrocious Mm-hmm. But you want to know who else is atrocious? Kansas. And we just beat mm-hmm. them by, you know, just over 10 points. So I mean, you have to start looking at what you can see. And to me, this is not a playoff team at the moment. Things can change. This team's going to have to play better to even get um, to that opportunity. But uh, they're actually my sixth team at the moment. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, and that kind of moves us over to um, our, our, you know, our quick look at Texas Tech. So Corbin, what do we have for that? Yeah, guys, I didn't want to spend too, you know, a whole lot of time on this. Maybe we uh, learned our lesson by doing this to Kansas. Maybe we're not going to learn our lesson and Texas going to come out fighting. Um, but, guys, just, you know, obviously the big news of the week heading into Saturday was Matt Wells finally got um, – his seat was just a bit too hot down there in Lubbock. So he was finally let go from that role. Sonny Cumbie takes over as the interim head coach. Um, guys, I think we can all expect that Texas Tech offense is probably just going to try to throw the ball all over the field on Saturday. Um, but a couple things on offense or defense, what are you all looking forward to? What do you want to see? I mean, I think all of us can agree that just better is a start on regardless of the side of the ball. But anything specific against the uh, Red Raiders that you all would like to see this weekend? I mean, Corbin, I think you touched on it perfectly. I mean, you know, Sonny Cumbie, the offensive coordinator, become the new interim guy. Matt Wells is out of there. We called that, by the way, didn't think he'd make it through the season. It's kind of crazy the fact that he was 5-3 and three and it happened, but uh, athletic director Kirby Hoka decided to make that change now. 
Um, and I think that Sonny Cumbie, you know, him not just being the play caller, but now he can kind of implement his philosophy, be a little bit more aggressive. He has absolutely nothing to lose. Texas Tech can throw the kitchen sink at Oklahoma this weekend. And you're crazy if you think you can even halfway predict what's going to happen on Saturday and how this Oklahoma team is going to perform. But just starting, you know, a couple things on each side of the football. When OU has the football, Texas Tech held Kansas to 81, Kansas State to 81 rushing yards this past weekend. Not bad for a Deuce Vaughn team. Um, you, you know, that's the fifth time this season that the Red Raiders have limited an opponent to under 100 yards on the ground. So running the football is paramount each and every week. And that's something that OU is going to have to be able to do. You've got the home crowd. This is just a 230 kickoff. Um, get Kennedy Brooks, get Eric Gray involved, not just in the running game, but let's let's get Eric Gray involved in the passing game out of the backfield on those swing plays. Um, Texas Tech, not the best defense in the world. I mean, we've seen, you know, Texas lit him up, hung 70 on him a little bit earlier this year. Um, but guys, for me, when Texas Tech has the football, that's, that's the game. You know, quarterback Henry Columbia in the four games he's played this season, he's thrown for over 1,200 yards, four touchdowns. Yes, he does have four picks on the year. And then they've got a really good running back. I feel like that's something we say every single week in the Big 12. Uh, Sir Roderick Thompson, he's got eight touchdowns and averaging over five yards a carry. The best player on this offense, however, guys, is junior wide receiver Eric, apologize if I mispronounced the name, Azukanma. Six foot three wide receiver. He's averaging close to 75 yards. I, I know I got that wrong, Adam. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. But, yeah, 75 yards receiving. And, guys, he's got to be licking his chops watching the film this week of that OU secondary. You know, OU secondary, very thin due to injuries. We are expected to get some guys back this week. But Oklahoma struggled against Xavier Worthy at Texas, Quentin Johnson uh, at, at TCU. They'll have their hands full once again on Saturday with this kid. OU's defense is allowing – a conference-high average of 275 passing yards per contest. That's going to play right into Sonny Cumbie's hands in terms of what Texas Tech is going to want to do and what their biggest strength is. They're going to RPO the crap out of Oklahoma on Saturday. And like we said in the group chat earlier this week, if I'm Sonny Cumbie, or if I'm Texas Tech's athletic director, I know that Sonny Cumbie's had the interim title for less than a day now. If he doesn't throw the football 40-plus times on Saturday against this OU secondary – I'd, I'd go ahead and fire him as well, and let's move on. So last thing to kind of wrap it up, it's up to OU's defense, starting with Alex Grinch. Be aggressive from the jump. Take some chances. Fly around. Make tackles. And, guys, get off the field on third down. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, um, you know, I didn't do a whole lot of prep on what Texas Tech has other than what just general knowledge of, you know, knowing them from uh, throughout the season because – Really, this is all about OU. It doesn't matter who Texas Tech rolls out there. We have better players regardless. So Texas Tech can throw it 40 times a game, but guess what? Henry Columbia, as they say, he is not that guy. Um, so <laughs> he should not be able to beat anybody on this OU defense. So that's in theory, though. I mean, we saw Jason Bean pick us apart a little bit. So come out with intense focus here. It's all mental. All the physical attributes are there. Focus on your assignment. Have the motivation that the coaching staff is giving you to do your assignments, to fire this team up, you know, to have the leadership across the board. That's what I want to see defensively. Corbin, throwing this over to you. And last question before we get to beers and bets. We're expected to get DTY back. DJ Graham sounds like he's going to play this week. Who's your start in secondary? And at what positions would you try it out there this week? It's probably not going to be what the obvious should be, um, but what would you do? I mean, in a perfect world, you'd have to think it's DTY, Key Lawrence, um, DJ Graham, and I guess Tate, I guess maybe maybe Josh Eaton, maybe Billy and Bowman at nickel. Billy yeah. Bowman back at nickel, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's not, guys. That's not going to happen. I mean, that's not going to happen at all. So it will be interesting, Tyler, to see Texas Tech's philosophy over the past couple of games. They actually haven't thrown it that much. Um, so it'll be, it'll be curious to see if they get back to that the few games before that, especially against TCU and Texas, there's a lot of balls being thrown, but those were two super high scoring games. If you look back against Kansas, only 25 passes were thrown for less than 200 yards, uh, against, um, against KU. And then you go back to, um, let me get back over here to week, uh, eight last week when they played Kansas state, um, you know, a combined, 18 passes for less than 150 yards. So throwing has not been the name of the game for this team. Um, what's crazy is guys, and 
maybe we were probably two points away from from Matt Wells not being fired. Um, I mean, you lose to Kansas State last week by one point at home, and this team is six and two, maybe on the outside looking in, but probably getting some votes to being ranked headed to Norman, um, you know, this weekend. So this is not a bad football team, but Adam, you said it spot on. <sighs> They just should not be on on OU's level by any way, shape, or form. Uh, if OU goes and plays the way they are capable of playing on both sides of the ball, this is probably a 20 to 30 point win. Do I think that's going to happen? Absolutely not. With that said, let's hop into beers and bets. Uh, guys, just to quickly recap last week, Adam, myself, both go two and three. Uh, I'm so thankful for a two and three, to be honest, based on how my day started with a strong 0 and three. Uh, I told you guys last week, I hate picking OU Kansas because Kansas is the team I always pick against. This is exactly why. Kansas was un, uh, they did not have a win all year long uh, against the spread. And of course, OU comes to town and that's the first win against the spread they have. Tyler, uh, slowly but surely, brick by brick, um, <laughs> yeah. together three and two last week, 19, 24 and two overall. Guys, let's hop right into it with you, Adam. Who do you got this week to start us off? Yeah, as much as I'd like to say two and three is the new five and zero, oh, it still isn't. Uh, so we'll we'll regroup and we'll try again this week uh, with my first pick. I'm going SMU at Houston. It's a pick 'em, and I'm going with the better quarterback in this case, uh, Tanner Mordecai over Clayton Toon. It is at Houston. These teams are pretty similar. Um, they both score a lot of points, but they also have some pretty salty defense to go along with it as well. So I just like what the Mustangs have, um, you know, with their skill position players and the fact that they were able to win at TCU. Uh, we saw Houston against Tech in the opener in Houston, and they weren't able to pull that one out. So I think SMU is a better team here. Yeah, I, I've got the exact same game, Adam. Whenever this uh, whenever this line was released on Sunday, um, I figured SMU would be a favorite, but whenever it was, and I saw that it was essentially a pick em, uh jumped on it right away. I mean, it's a huge game in the AAC between rival schools in the state of Texas. Mustangs have won the last two in high-scoring, you know, high dramatic fashion. They have a top 10 offense led by Tanner Mordecai, 29 touchdowns to just seven interceptions. He's been fantastic this year. So it's a tough spot spot on the road, but I like SMU in this scenario to pull through. And so I'm going to take SMU to pick him, but I, I think the over 62 and a half looks good too. That's a great start for me. I know we're going to have some overlap here, Tyler, but when we overlap, things don't go well for me. So the fact that you and Adam uh, have some overlap right from the get-go is great juju for me going forward. Guys, I'm going right back to the well to start off. Kansas at Oklahoma State. I don't think Oklahoma State has a single problem with this Jayhawks team. Uh, I understand, one, coming off of a loss. But secondly, they just saw what, you know, the close game that – Kansas happened to have against OU. Uh, I think this Poke team will be ready. They're going to come out, play well. I'm going to take uh, the Pokes minus 31. Yeah, uh, my second one, Oregon State at Cal. Oregon State's only a one-and-a-half-point favorite here. Cal's only won two games all year, one against an FCS opponent and once against a really bad Colorado team. So I think it's really difficult to win a game by one point, and I'm pretty confident Oregon State's going to win this one. So give me the Beavers there. Yeah, second game for me, um, going in the Big 12, probably uh, the, the matchup of the week in this conference, Texas at Baylor. Uh, Baylor's averaging 38 points per game. Texas is at 41. This is a huge game in the race for the number two seed in the Big 12. If Baylor wins, they're in a great position headed into November, and a loss would virtually eliminate Texas out of contention. So both teams coming off of a bye week, so that means both offenses are going to have plenty of tricks up their seat, sleeves. Uh, but in this one, give me the over 61 points in Wake on Saturday. I think this turns into a shootout. Uh, at 11 a.m. I'm staying in the Big 12 as well. I do not trust this OU team with my life, uh, so I am going to take Tech plus 20. Guys, if we beat Tech by more than 20 points, I'm sure we'll find something to complain about, but overall I'll be pretty pleased with that type of performance. So it's a win-win for me either way, but like I said, don't trust this team. Give me the Red Raiders plus 20. Taking another page out of your book, Corbin, Justin, looking at the stats, Clemson 0-7 against the spread all year. It's only a 10-point spread this week. They're playing Florida State at home, but this is a game that they basically canceled on a whim last year, and so I think Florida State will be a little bit fired up to play this game. I think they have enough of you know, a couple of quarterbacks and playmakers on offense that they can maybe score a few points, and that might be all they need with a Clemson team that's really struggling to figure out how can they score anything, who's the quarterback. So um, I like the Knowles to be able to go in there, keep it within 10 points. You know, it's kind of crazy that uh, that's kind of a given, I guess, but I'm still not brave enough to put that one on my card. So we'll we'll see if uh, if Clemson can turn it around. What what better program for this to happen to in Dabo? So yeah, gotta uh, love you it. Just you gotta love it. But uh, pick number three for me, I'm going Georgia versus Florida. 
World's largest outdoor cocktail party. Both teams coming off of a bye week going into the matchup on Saturday. Georgia can clinch the SEC East. And Florida, yes, they had an extra week to prepare, but what are we going to get from the quarterback position? Sounds like Anthony Richardson uh, is going to start for for the Gators on Saturday. But if there's one thing we know, Florida's identity on offense is running the football. I don't think that they're going to be able to run the football in Georgia. 14 is a big number. I know for all the craziness of the rivalry the last six years, the team that's been favored in the last six seasons has not only won, but they've covered. So I think this is going to be seven in a row. So give me the Bulldogs uh, to, to cover on Saturday. Yeah, Adam, I'm going to stay right in the wheelhouse of where you're at. I really don't like this pick, um, but I'm just kind of going with the numbers right now. Give me Florida State plus the points. Florida State has been playing better as of late. I know you can't really count UMass as a better win, but they did beat Syracuse and North Carolina heading into UMass. They've won their last three. Maybe they found something. I don't know, but I know Clemson is just struggling right now. you got to wonder about the mentality of that program. <laughs> That's a tough spot to be in. So, yeah, give me the Knowles plus 10 against Clemson. Yeah. Uh, again, following Corbin's strategy here, picking against some really bad teams. Missouri only a 16-point favorite at Vanderbilt. Missouri's not a great team, but they've got some real playmakers on offense. So I like their ability to score a lot of points and really run away with this one. Yeah, I'm going to the Big Ten on this one. Penn State traveling to Columbus, take on Ohio State. Ohio State favored by 18.5 at the moment. This is a huge line, knowing the Buckeyes have won the last four meetings in this series by an average of, I think it's less than a touchdown, but – Ryan Day's team, they've hit a different gear on offense. They found their running back one in Travion Henderson. Paired that up with C.J. Stroud and those boys out at the wide receiver position. Ohio State, they're finally playing some defense. Yes, I know it's been against inferior competition. I think that this week will be a better test for them, but I still think 18.5 points is not enough. Um, So give me uh, Ohio State to cover on Saturday night. Yep, same with me. I got the Buckeyes minus 18 and a half. I think Penn State will probably hold this Ohio State's offense decently well. They're going to be ready to play. But guys, this Penn State team cannot score right now. They can't. Uh, after losing their starting quarterback a couple weeks ago against Iowa, they have not looked the same. They just won a nine overtime game and they scored 18 points. Um, not even 18. Was it 18 16 or was it 20? It was 2018. Yeah, 18. so 18 points. Yeah. Um, that's unheard of. I mean, just not even like happen to score a couple two point conversions along the way is craziness. So, uh, yeah, give me the Buckeyes minus 18 and a half. I just feel like that's a team that's kind of starting to hit their stride right now. I saved it for last. You knew I had to go here. I picked this game with emotion first and then found stats to back up my emotions there. I'm going to East Lansing. The Michigan State Spartans are being disrespected right now. Four and a half point underdogs against Michigan. Michigan State has actually owned this rivalry in recent years uh, and has been probably the better program over the last decade or so. Um, No respect for the Spartans. This is an 11 a.m. game at home, probably their biggest game in who knows how long. Their fans are going to be absolutely fired up. And if you look at these two teams, uh, Michigan State has the far superior quarterback play. Peyton Thorne has 15 touchdowns on the year compared to Cade McNamara's only five touchdowns. I know Michigan has uh, some good defenders, uh, and they've got a nice uh, two-headed monster at running back, but Michigan State also has those things. So um, give me the Spartans by 50. I'm just kidding. I, but they're definitely going to cover the four and a half. I, I have no rebuttal for that. Um, pick number five for me, wrapping this up on my card, um, ACC. Duke at Wake Forest. Wake, fa- Wake Forest uh, favored by 16 and a half. Wake Forest is ranked number 13, guys. The highest ranking in school history. 16 and a half, I know is a lot of points for a conference matchup, but Duke has lost their last three ACC games by a combined score of 127 to 34. And because of that reason alone, give me Wake Forest to cover and the Demon Deacons get to 8-0 eight, eight on the year. Guys, we've been talking. I've been trying to find a new line because I hate going uh, alongside Tyler as much as I have. Right now, I do have Georgia-Florida on my card with Georgia covering the 14. The fact that uh, Florida's – both of them have had a week off, but the fact that Dan Mullen's had a week off to prepare for this um, gives me just a little bit of a pause on that. But I guess since I haven't found anything I like better, I'm just going to stick with it. Uh, so give me the dogs, minus 14 versus Florida. Florida's – entire identity up to this point has been running the ball. They will not be able to do that against Georgia starting Anthony Richardson, which sounds like it's a possibility that could change things. And that's where I think I probably have most of my hesitation on this game, but 
I still believe Georgia is the best team in the country, and I think they can um, you know, beat this Florida team by more than 14 points. So, guys, last thing before we head out, uh, as we do each and every week, score predictions um, for OU Texas Tech. Adam, who what you got? Call it uh, blind, irrational you know, hope here, but I've got OU covering uh, 48-27. I think uh, being at home, being a 230, getting a little bit of a scare put into them last week, I think they perform a lot better. I'm not necessarily convinced that Texas Tech firing Matt Wells is really going to make that much of a difference here. So I think OU's talent wins out. We're able to get into the bye week feeling a little bit better about ourselves. This is probably my least favorite segment of this entire podcast, trying to predict what I'm going to get from OU. Uh, I've been burned every single week except for OU Texas. And honestly, that was, you know, caught lightning in a bottle, them coming back and winning that one. But for me, um, I'm going to go OU 40, 45, Texas Tech 34. I think that this is going to be a game where Texas Tech is going to put up a ton of points. I think that this will be a nail-biter going into the fourth quarter. And, guys, we've seen it for the last three weeks. Caleb Williams is going to make the plays that puts OU over the edge. And I see the Sooners not covering in this one. And I think it's uh, it's less than a two-touchdown game. So OU 45, Texas Tech 34. Yeah, right in the same wheelhouse. Uh, I'm actually going to go OU 41, Texas Tech 31. Um, I don't know how much of a nail-biter it will be, but I, I just think Tech hangs around um, and gets enough points to always keep things interesting. Would love to see some backups, get some reps here, but I just don't think that's going to happen. So really, I think it's all in the hands of the defense guys. What they're able to do as far as handling this Texas Tech offense will decide what happens in this game. I think OU will score plenty of points to win. Um, but no way in hell am I picking them to cover 20 points. Um, so OU 41, Texas Tech 31. Tyler, close us out. Yeah, that's that's going to do it for us on the episode. OU Texas Tech 230 uh, on Saturday inside Gaylord Family, Oklahoma Memorial Stadium. So it's a big one. OU uh, hasn't been 9-0 and uh, in over 17 years, and they've got a chance to do that and ride some pretty good momentum going into a much-needed bye week to set it up for the last three-game stretch of the season. But, yeah, that's going to do it for us. Tyler, Corbin, Adam. Uh, we, we look forward to the game this weekend, and we look forward to recapping it next Tuesday night on another episode of the Mainline Podcast. 